0: Reed, what are your thoughts on separating the art from the artist
1: I feel like you have to sometimes like Chick-fil-a is a, is a prime example the art is the chicken and the artist is chick-fil-A corporation and, and you got to separate the two because that is it's, it's fantastic chicken objectively
0: I disagree I don't like chick-fil-a at all so it, it has never been a difficult choice for me I've always been a Popeyes person just spiked
1: the objective in my face Popeyes is great too but you they don't have no, like the adequate substitution for nuggets
0: i don't like the, the nuggets they don't have any crunch and they're like too thick they're like little like chicken um i don't know it's like eating a i don't like a you know those like mini reese's cups it's like the same like sort of volume of that the, the, like the bite in it is not satisfying i like the flat ones you know like you get at mcdonald's or burger king or any other place
1: are you talking about the Reese's Cup thins, or are you talking about nuggets now?
0: I'm talking about nuggets. I don't know. I sort of went off the rails there because I was thinking of, like, what's a thing that, like, is equivalent to, a like, the size and shape and density of a Chick-fil-A chicken nugget? And that was the first thing that came to mind.
1: I like both. There's, there's place for both. Like, Shake Shack does the Chick-fil-A knockoff. McDonald's, I learned, are tempura fried from the uh, – who is – someone's in those commercials. Um, but yeah, they're tempura battered, mm-hmm. um, which was fascinating for me to learn. Um, I love me, I like all nuggets, but yeah, no, I separate. You know, I separate the art from the artist there.
0: Um, yeah. it's like most, all corporations are pretty much objectively evil, but yeah. I mean, there's there's shades of gray here. So, like, if you learned that a jacket that you really liked had been made by people who were essentially slaves. And kids who were sexually abused in a religious cult, you probably wouldn't be into the jacket as much anymore.
1: Does it have a swoosh on it?
0: No. Yeah, no. I'm.
1: I wouldn't give Nike a pass for that either. But uh, no, absolutely not. That would be that would be a line. I think for whatever reason, because there's. I mean, not that for whatever reason we know why that's the line, but I don't know why the line isn't like further along back on the beach. I guess.
0: Mm. What if it had cool airbrushed images of a beach and like was embezzled with what's the rule bejeweled blaze emblazoned emblazoned with rhinestones
1: it it would not change my overall opinion on on the uh, sort of um i wouldn't want that jacket no it's like the the background is the reason but the rhinestones are like that that cherry on top of the
0: fuck this cake well you and miley cyrus would disagree there Welcome to Heddle's Blowout. My name is David. I'm Reed. And today we're talking about the middle part of a Venn diagram that includes denim jackets, cults, and true crime. Will some podcasting network just give us some money now, please? We're talking about Tony Alamo. And yes, that is spelled like Alamo, as in remember the, but it's pronounced like Alamo. Uh, Regardless, he was about as despicable a human being as they come. From the late 60s onwards, he ran a religious cult that separated families, forced people to work without pay, beat and sexually abused children, tried to summon people from the dead, and he made some pretty cool rhinestone denim jackets. These jackets were extremely popular. You could see them on the backs of everyone from Mr. T, Sonny Bono, Michael Jackson, Burt Reynolds, and Dolly Parton. So today we're going inside the Tony Alamo of Nashville Fashion Label and inside the Tony Alamo Ministries cult as we dig up this denim crime story. Just love and you will find it loves the
1: only price you pay.
0: So like most cult stories, this one starts in California in the 1960s. It's
1: really fertile cult ground.
0: There were a lot of them then that uh, I, I guess it was the warmth and maybe the free love that uh, every, people just sort of uh, flock to it.
1: Are those two classic cult ingredients? Warmth and free love?
0: I mean, if they were, I would probably be a little bit more into cults or I'd, I'd be a little bit more open minded, especially because it hasn't been above freezing in like two weeks in Denver. But, uh, Tony Alamo was not born in California. He was born... Bernie Lazar Hoffman in Joplin, Missouri in 1934. And he moved to L.A. in the early 60s, hoping to become a pop star and a music promoter. It didn't pan out completely. He talked a very big game as he claimed that he was the promoter for the Beatles when they came to America. Which is something that you could do at a party before smartphones existed and people could call you out on that.
1: This is an awful human being, but I do respect that he shot a shot when you could shoot your shot.
0: He, he had a lot of hustle that he talked his way into uh, marrying a similarly ambitious actress and singer, Edith Opal Horn, a couple of great, you know, three barrel names here. And the two got married in 1966. But in getting married, they rebranded themselves as Tony and Susan Alamo. And they hung up the traditional avenues of fame that they were pursuing and instead became street evangelists and founded the Alamo Christian Foundation.
1: Do you think they had, like, serious debate over how to
0: pronounce Alamo? I don't know. That, that, that might be a thing of, like, we're going to be Tony and Susan, like, Alamo. And then they had, you know, the, the, like, Justin Timberlake's, like, social network moment of, like, it would be cool. Alamo. Alamo. They were pretty successful as street evangelists because sort of like how L. Ron Humbert used his skills as a failed sci-fi writer to ensnare people into his cult. The Alamos used their skills as failed musicians and performers, that they would uh, cruise Hollywood Boulevard looking for recently arrived young people, you know, looking for warmth and free love uh, and people living on the street and offer them a free meal and a sermon at their church in Agua Dulce, which was about an hour north of L.A. And once people got there, they were greeted with country music and the Alamos brand of fiery Pentecostalism. So the ideology behind the Alamo ministries is basically like the apocalypse was coming and they were the only ones that could get you into heaven. They also claimed that miracles exist and that the only, uh, only via intense punishment could your soul be cleansed enough to enter the kingdom of God.
1: The second part is very Scientology.
0: What, the, the punishment part? Yeah. Well, it's about to get even more Scientology because you know, part of the cleansing process was the only way you could get into heaven was to get rid of all your worldly possessions and sign them over t- uh, to the church, including like all of the uh, profits of your labor for the rest of your life. You you had to basically enslave yourself to the church. I have a quote here: the church was Protestant and Pentecostal in nature, and it was often referred to as being a part of the Jesus movement. It was also extremely anti-Catholic, only accepted the King James version of the Bible, and its measure- members adhered to a moral code which condemned and forbade the use of drugs, homosexuality, adultery, birth control, and abortion. Individuals who sought to join the church and became involved in its rehabilitation process took a vow of poverty and agreed to turn all of their money and property over to the church. In return, their own needs would be met and their children would receive basic education through high school. Classic
1: cult stuff. What is the king, like, I'm curious, I'm not a Bible
0: not a biblical scholar?
1: Yeah, not a theologian. What is the, what's the significance of the King James Bible here?
0: Latch on to, th- that's the one detail that that sticks out there, huh? <laughs> the no, King I James- mean, it,
1: it just was like, it's like they only accepted the King James b- version. And I was just like, I don't know. It seems like if it's stemming from that version of the Bible, then uh, mm-hmm. seems important. You know, afterwards, it's like, that's the preceding detail for the adhered to a moral code, which condemned and forbade. Yeah. Big LeBron um, fans. The vow of poverty is, ah, uh, you know, both sucks, and I feel like is kind of a cop out for the success of the religion. You know mm, how so? It's just like you can never be like, "Well, I'm not happy. This religion isn't working." It's like you took a <laughs> vow to be miserable. This religion is working. Yeah, you know, it's like it's like if you were ever like when you were a kid, you know, you you'd be like, "If I make this shot, something would happen." But no one would ever be like, "If I miss this shot." you have to do something for me because you can just drop the ball on the ground.
0: Mm. The beatings will continue until morale improves kind of thing of just like, you know, lowering expectations significantly.
1: Yeah, that's exactly, it feels like they've just got like, you know, bargain basement expectations where it's like, look, you're going to be poor and miserable here. And that is, that's
0: good. That's how you get to heaven. If, If you feel that it's working.
1: Yeah. You know, I just, it feels like it's pretty easy to live up to. Just like anytime someone's happy, take whatever was they were happy about away from them and it's working.
0: Yeah, I guess it was a decent enough sell because by the mid seventies, they had several thousand followers and a weekly country music evangelism show on television, which, you know, that clip at the top of the show was, uh, from one of those episodes. But, uh, the fact that they got much bigger led to a greater profile and increased scrutiny from the California authorities. And in 1976, the Alamos moved the entire ministry, including a few hundred of their followers, back east to Arkansas in a town called Georgia Ridge. And in Georgia Ridge, they had a compound that sprawled several hundred acres and were secluded from outsiders. And they started doing a lot of the uh, real shitty shit here that they they began a big anti-abortion campaign where they promised pregnant women free room and board if they had their baby and then moved on to the compound. Uh, which created an entire generation of children that grew up on the compound and had no concept of the outside world again, you know classic cult stuff they're sort of following the the playbook
1: yeah, this is I feel like where it goes from like classic cult stuff to like uh like neoclassical terrifying cult stuff
0: hmm some like freeform cult stuff
1: yeah like whatever happened in midsummer.
0: It's about to get a bit more midsummer here because Susan Alamo, she died of breast cancer in 1982 as they they didn't go to the doctor very often on the compound. But Tony kept her body on display, like on the compound grounds for six months, telling followers that if they prayed hard enough, she would come back to life.
1: Again, like this is one of those things where it's like six months later, she didn't. And everyone was like, word, this is still our guy. Yeah,
0: she didn't pray hard enough.
1: I have so many questions, though. Was there glass covering her?
0: No. She was just, like, out there uh, free marinating.
1: Was she in some type of thing or was she, like, on a couch? Like, was this, like, weekend at Bernie's? I think she was on a table.
0: Like, none of the, the accounts that I found gave a specific thing of just that she was just out there, like, in the church and, like, having people pray around her 24-7. And And during this time... Tony uh, claimed that people uh, that, that she, he could hear what she was saying from beyond the grave because she was still out, and if he buried her, then they wouldn't be able to hear what she was saying anymore.
1: Was what she was saying good? I'm, the, I'm presupposing he could actually hear her in this question.
0: The accounts that I've seen had it explained that like Tony was not the charismatic leader of the cult; uh, it was more Susan. That Susan was the one that had everybody's ear. And by keeping Susan out and on display and claiming that he had a line to Susan, it uh, further established him as the legitimate leader of the cult in her absence, which wasn't entirely absence because she was still there like rotting on the table.
1: (laughs) Yeah, again, we're presupposing. I just always I always like that one. It's like I can communicate. It's like, I don't know. They saying good stuff or Mm -hmm. are they just saying it's like, are they just like being like, get me a sandwich?
0: Yeah, it's hard to determine if he actually believed in this himself, probably not, but you know, after about 6 months he gave up and entombed her in a heart-shaped mausoleum on the compound. Which, you know, sounds like a Nirvana song, but um where she rested.
1: Do you think that most like most grifters don't believe in it themselves? That's how they can keep doing it, right? Like that's how.
0: I guess, but at a certain point, you know, you, you got to get high on your own supply, like if you're only surrounded by people that reaffirm what you're thinking and like tell you that you're right i i imagine it's only a matter of time before they uh you start believing what you're selling even though it is entirely bullshit
1: yeah i i can see that especially when you look at like you look like a uh you know like a tangier outlets johnny cash mm-hmm. um yeah okay i can buy that
0: at this point though alamo was making serious money that. Uh, he had enough followers that he could diversify into a few local businesses, including he had a restaurant, a trucking company and a real estate business, all of which he could staff with unpaid labor of his followers because, you know, they pledged their lives of service to the church and all of it was tax free, supposedly because uh, he was designated as a nonprofit institution, of 501c3, and a non-taxable church. The allure of celebrity still eluded him. But he was about to find his uh, way in, like so many people do, in the fashion business. Which we will get into right after this quick break. We live live in a fast-paced world. World. Sometimes, Sometimes you just need to slow slow down down and stop. Heddles Plus, the new membership program of exclusive content, giveaways, discounts, and a community chat forum. Try a month free with the code extra blowout. And we're back with more Tony. Uh, Tony grieved for you, you Tell me, how long do you think Tony waited before getting remarried?
1: Like Tony's a bad guy. So it's way more fun to say like three months, but I assume it was longer than that.
0: It was two years, but it's you know, reasonable, it, I guess it's hard to say if it was like two years after she died or, you know, it was probably 18 months after she was buried. So yeah, there's some wiggle room. Oh there.
1: yeah, I mean, I guess with him, does does he? So like again, I this is a clarifying question moving backwards really fast. Does he consider the death of his first wife the day she re- like died, died, or the day that he gave up on resuscitating her?
0: Mm. Hard to say, but uh, two years after the the day that she died, I believe he remarried. Uh, I mean, not like to the day. But like two years afterwards, he married Birgitta Gillenhammer, who was a Swedish uh, fashion designer based in Beverly Hills. As uh, Tony, with all of his money, he would go shopping quite frequently. He would fly off to New York or L.A. or Vegas and go on big shopping sprees. And one of his favorites was uh, Birgitta's uh, boutique in Bev Hills. And in marrying her, this is where they went real righteous gemstones with it, that he, too wanted to live the fashion high life and he opened up a country Western store in Nashville with the flashiest of cowboy clothing for sale, you know, like snakeskin boots, giant gold belt buckles, that kind of stuff. The centerpiece of it all though, was the Tony Alamo custom decorated denim jackets. Uh, and these things were like a Lisa Frank wet dream meets a Japanese souvenir jacket that uh, you had a chance to look at these. It was some pictures in the show notes.
1: Yeah, they're not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get to all the, uh, the the moral implications of donning one of these, they're still not for
0: me. Uh, how would you describe them,
1: Lisa? Frank wet dream meets Japanese souvenir, souvenir jacket is good. I would say like uh like the Care Bears got a hold of some jacket decoration shit.
0: Mm-hmm. maybe or yeah, I'll go with that. We'll go with Care Bears. are these elaborately airbrushed and rhinestone encrusted denim jackets. And like all of them depicted a different scene. They all had a theme to them. Like there are ones for a variety of different locations. Like you have like Las Vegas, Hawaii, Beverly Hills, Rome, that they would have, you know, like some cityscape airbrushed on the background and have the, the letters um, airbrushed big on the front lapel. And then there are ones for different characters, like you know, Barbie, Batman. Uh, there's one for the Chicago Bears, like uh, as a souvenir for when they won the, uh, the Super Bowl in the 80s. The 85 Bears. 85 Bears. That, that one be- you can buy for like two grand on eBay right now. That's somehow lower and higher than I thought. <laughs> it's a very specific audience. <laughs> uh, is and there weird ones that just like have a panther on them and then just say panther? Or like have a picture of a biplane that says wings on it. It's like very capital of them. Mm-hmm. It is very, they they feel sort of like a, uh, I don't know, neon, like 80s country pieces, like capital country stuff.
1: Like they could say, dad brings home the bacon.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or like John Denver trucker life for me or something like that. Fuck key. Singular. <laughs> They sold for you know, relatively similar to capital prices. that they, they were around $600 new in the 80s, which is about $1,500 in 2021 money. Maybe they're not for you, but I think objectively they're pretty cool looking. They certainly stand out. And the jackets were a massive hit, especially with a lot of celebrity clientele. That uh, you know, They were worn by everyone, as we said at the top. Brooke Shields, Dolly Parton, Mr. T, Burt Reynolds, Don King, Mike Tyson. Tiny Tim, Ted Nugent, Bono, even Juice Newton was uh, photographed in a Tony Alamo original designs jacket. All these things were a major hit, and Alamo finally had his end with celebrity glamour, which uh, even soon-to-be-president Bill Clinton described him as Roy Orbison on speed. Any
1: Bill Clinton endorsement from like an eight-year window is just the weirdest thing to consider now, now that we know everything we know about Bill Clinton.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And we probably don't know everything about Bill Clinton. We certainly no. It's don't. just
1: now that we know all we know. You know, yeah. it's like the things we, we know did. enough. Yeah, it's like probably like twelve percent of the Bill Clinton canon, but like it's it's enough. Mm-hmm. You know, we we've got an outline. Yeah.
0: Oh, well, I we'll
1: can't see. even tell if Roy Orbison on speed is a dig.
0: Yeah, I like Roy Orbison, but uh, it's hard to imagine his voice getting much higher. But like you know, I mean,
1: it's like. It's like maybe Bill Clinton likes high energy dudes. Mhm. You know, maybe Roy Orbison on speed is his ideal compatriot. I don't um, even know.
0: Well, you know Clinton, uh, he liked associating with a certain kind of party person, but uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> so, you know, while these jackets were living very luxurious, glamorous lives on the backs of celebrities and Tony was going around hobnobbing and going on spending sprees, The making of the jackets was anything but glamorous. I got a quote here from a Refinery29 profile of all places. That's, The jackets were assembled in a factory in Alma, Arkansas, that was converted from a large restaurant. First, the raw denim, raw denim, was washed in a drum filled with pumice stones and bleach. Then it was cut and sewn into shape. From there, a basic stencil, a skyline, or the outline of a cartoon character, and definitely had some Taz jackets in there, Uh, was applied using a silk screen, and then the delicate work of airbrushing and embellishing could begin. Children manned the rhinestone station. Using their small fingers, they dropped row after row of Swarovski stones into tiny fittings. The working conditions were harsh. Bleached fumes billowed from the stone washing drum. Every day, up to 150 people, men, women, and children worked for as long as 14 hours a day, and sometimes the children's fingers bled from handling the pointy rhinestones. The finished product was a genuine Tony Alamo of Nashville jacket. The workers who made them labored for free in the service of a cult leader named Tony Alamo, who preached that only he could show them the path to heaven.
1: It's mad snowpiercer of all them. Like, this is, it's insane.
0: Yeah, it's just like, imagine, like, going into this restaurant and seeing all these people, like, furiously putting stones into denim jackets with bleach fumes everywhere because thought, they thought they would get them into heaven. Blood
1: gushing out of fingers.
0: Uh, you got a quote here from one of the people that worked making the jackets. Is uh, we really thought we were making these jackets for God. We did it with zeal, says Benjamin Risha, who was born into the cult and grew up on the Alma, Arkansas compound. We really thought we were saving the world by making money for the ministry and spreading its word. And you know, while not working, the followers had to scavenge for food from the dumpsters, and were only allowed to flush the toilets on the compound a couple times a week to save on the water bill. You know, going back to what you said earlier, very low expectations that the Alamos set for these people, and they sort of lived up to him.
1: It's like, can we flush the toilet, you know, three days a week? And they're like, no.
0: Yeah, maybe on like, holidays. This is
1: part of God's plan. I'm miserable.
0: Oh. But beyond just working people half to death, he also abused his followers physically, emotionally, and sexually. He would regularly order beatings of his followers who disagreed with him, and he would hold people in isolation. And he claimed that he was allowed to take as many quote-unquote wives as he wanted, most of them under the age of 15. He raped dozens of children in the cult, some as young as nine years old. as I said before, about as despicable a person as you can imagine, Tony Alamo.
1: Yeah, there's, like, I feel like certain rules, like, that we should just, like, unwritten ones, like... The cult multiple wives thing, like if you're a cult leader and like I'm taking multiple wives, it's like maybe this is why you started the cult, regardless of age. Um, it's like the island thing, you know, like like you just like I feel like people shouldn't have islands. Mm -hmm. Why, Why do we need an island? Um, secret compounds are kind of the same situation at this point. Yeah multiple you know,
0: wives devoting your life to a a service and all of your giving up all your worldly possessions it's
1: these are more yeah like these are more abstract like i'm just like it's just like anytime you hear like compound the word compound it's like i feel like it's gone the way of manifesto
0: mm-hmm. there's actually an, an uh interview that i i saw of him where he's like ooh, people hear the word compound and they get all freaked out Ooh, it's a compound what's happening on compound and it's like, oh, it's just, you know, a bunch of us living together in the service of God and you making jackets and abusing children.
1: Yeah, it's like we we're scared of the word compound because it leads to scare like there's nothing good that comes from a compound.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, campus. That's a that's a much more uh uh a much more inspiring euphemistic word.
1: Yeah, it's like the dystopian, but like the minimalistic dystopia.
0: version of what's going on there
1: you know it's like they work on the campus
0: yeah it's the google campus compound but with all these these sales going to all these celebrities and free labor alamo was reaping a massive amount of profits which continuing on our classic cult stuff he was not paying any taxes on and in 1994 the irs finally nailed him on federal tax evasion and unpaid wages and he was sentenced to six years in prison and as the IRS's want to do, they also seized assets from several of his properties and auctioned off hundreds and hundreds of Tony Alamo original jackets, many of which are still in circulation today. Alamo got out of jail four years later and continued to terrorize and abuse his followers until 2009 when he was convicted on 10 counts of transporting minors across state lines for sex and raping children. As we mentioned before, that that's uh, the only way that the feds can get you is if you transport someone across state lines for legal purposes, which, you know, it comes up a lot in movies. But yeah, that's how they got Tony Alamo. And uh, he was sentenced to uh, 160 years in federal prison and which he died in federal prison in 2017 at the age of 82. But the Alamo Ministries are not dead. They are still operating with a core group of devoted followers to this day and still running a very janky looking website. That's
1: like the, by far, the biggest twist ending of this. That is still there? Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I guess like no one reads, you know, so it's like it is what it is. But like, what are they still thinking is going to happen? The wife didn't come back. The dude's in jail or was in jail and died.
0: Mm-hmm. It was a classic manipulation strategy from what it seemed like because it was a thing of him just sort of twisting like anything that happened of being like, oh, yeah, I told you this was going to happen. Um, I of like what you see with Q stuff of like, oh, uh, you know, I'm being uh, railed against by the IRS because they're trying to persecute me because they don't want the, the message of God coming out because they're actually being controlled by the devil. And like, oh, that's what's happening right now is they're trying to pin all this child abuse on me. Because they're also being controlled by the devil, and they're not going to be like uh, allowed to go into heaven. It's just you know, in anything fantastical like this that has miracles tied up in it, that you can sort of make any uh, series of events fit into your narrative.
1: Yeah, if they're ambiguous enough, like if your narrative has a has a weak enough thesis, but people still latch onto it. Yeah, you you can really. I mean, I guess, and then and then the further along and the more time people invest in it, the more like emotional equity. But I think that's the thing that's so surprising about it still existing to me is that like you figure most of the folks with emotional equity are no longer, I mean like those jackets that are in circulation, like the 85 bears are three years older than me, Mm -hmm. 35, 36 years old at this point, you know, there's all the stories of the people that were abused that are out in the world. Mm-hmm. And someone's like, I don't know. I've looked at all the other religions. This one's for me.
0: Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it is also the kids that were born into it and don't know anything else. And they're still stuck there.
1: Are they still in Arkansas? I mean, like, like I like I said, I feel terrible for like, but it's just like, it is so befuddling that like, like the feds came and got these people, right?
0: Well, they got Tony and they didn't get everybody else. It was like, what they didn't are they Shut it do? down? Uh, they seized some of the property in Arkansas, but they also had churches operating in Miami, in LA and New York and Chicago and a bunch of other places.
1: Someone needs to go in with a camera, figure out what's going on with this.
0: If you, for whatever reason, want to join the Tony Alamo Ministries, that is uh, your prerogative and very possible at the moment. But uh, The jackets themselves, though, have seem to have resurged in popularity and have led a longer legacy than Alamo himself. Uh, a quote from Alamo when he was battling the IRS and he said, the clothing is so groovy. Everybody wants uh, it. No matter what they think I am, no matter what the superstars are going to want my jackets. And he was right there because they've resurfaced in the last couple of years. And like, uh, you can see photos of ASAP Rocky, Miley Cyrus, Alicia Keys, and Nicki Minaj all wearing Alamo jackets.
1: Do they know? Like, is this common? Do we think that they're just like, I don't care?
0: And I imagine if you're that level of celebrity, like people are putting clothing on and off of you all day, every day, and you don't really know what you're wearing.
1: They're for sure stylist buys, but like, I'm just like wondering, like, someone's like, cool jacket, what's the deal with it? And like,
0: it's like, oh, it was made by child slaves that were sexually abused in a or like restaurant basement in Arkansas. Right? Like, once someone asks
1: you for the very first time about your mad, flashy statement piece, I feel like, oh, man, this one's out of rotation. And, like, you like it, I guess, like, I'm surprised that, like, you wear a jacket like that someone's asking or someone's yeah. making a comment because they already know. And it's like, I don't know. To me, it's a little surprising that folks are just like, yeah, this jacket is so cool that I don't care. Or I guess so groovy.
0: So groovy, everyone's going to want the jackets, Reed. The prices are still pretty high on eBay. That They go from like $250 up to some of them. Some of the denim ones, they top out at around $1,500, but there's some leathers that are selling for like four grand. Yeah, he also did leathers that, uh, you know, not the Thriller album cover, but the cover of Bad, the black leather jacket that Michael Jackson wore. Him? Tony Alamo.
1: The uh the Warner Brothers one for sale for 350 is not like I said, like this is not my shit, but
0: that is kind of my shit. Yeah. Yeah, that that would be the one that I would be more interested in. Or there's this uh there's this leather one that has like Mount Rushmore on it that's even more like distasteful and gaudier than Mount Rushmore itself, like if that's even possible.
1: Uh, no, I'm looking at the jacket, so it is possible. He pulled it off yeah upset victory of all time these wings jackets really just exist huh produced a lot of those
0: and maybe he was just hoping paul mccartney would pick one up or just like a plane guy (laughs) we
1: knew plane guys
0: yeah everybody likes a plane guy you know but yeah they're they're pretty t-shirts too imagining all the like man woman and child hours that went into making one of these things it's not like this could just be done, like, screen printed off the rack.
1: No, they like they literally talk about tiny hands. Anytime you talk about the hand size of workers, shit has gone so far off the rails that it probably can't be rectified.
0: Yeah, like when we were talking about, you know, late 1800s or you know, even 1700s textile mills, so they had to put the kids' tiny hands in there to get the uh, shuttles out of the looms, and they would often get their fingers taken off.
1: Yeah, like, again, if you're talking, it's like, yeah, we chose this person because they could fit in a tight space. It's like we're not in a great spot.
0: So I think both of us are in agreement here that you can't really separate these garments from their history because you know they were made by his victims, some of which were children that he raped until they're and like these kids were making these things until their fingers bled and they were made for this guy's personal profit. Um, and now he's dead. Like the money that you're going to be spending isn't going to be going directly into his pocket, but like. Thing I really want on my back,
1: they're also just beacons of inquisition, like I was like, we were talking about before, Mm. where it's like you wear that thing, someone's gonna ask. Like, if I wear a mohair cardigan, people want to know about it. If I wore something with like the entire New York cityscape hand painted on the back, they'd be like, Yo, what's up with the jacket?
0: Mm. Yeah, it reminded me of I was at an oddities show a couple years ago, and uh, there was a guy that was selling an original John Wayne Gacy painting. For $40,000. Shoot
1: and it was shot, I guess, man.
0: Yeah, it was this picture of just, like, this clown, like, running through the woods, like, turning, like, three quarters over his shoulder, like, looking at you. It was creepy as fuck, but, like... He painted clowns, too? This is for a different podcast, but... Yeah, this is, um, like, apparently he was very prolific as a painter while he was in prison, but, uh... Yeah, it was creepy as fuck. Just looking at it in a crowded convention hall, like you could not pay me forty thousand dollars for that to be hung on like my wall in my house.
1: Could I pay you forty thousand dollars to hang a W painting on your wall?
0: And that's like even more cursed,
1: right? That's, these are all cursed. These are all cursed. Cursed works.
0: Yeah, <laughs> John Wayne Gacy was putting up rookie numbers by comparison. You know. But don't take it from us, like, one of the children that worked on the jacket says, like, quote here, I guess I would tell people wearing them, once you know where they come from, try to go out of your way to help people less fortunate. Go to a place where women are battered or children need help if you can afford the jacket. Chances are you can afford to help somebody. If you want to know more about Tony Alamo, there's an okay documentary series on Sundance Channel called Ministries of Evil. And all of our citations are in the show notes.
1: An extremely medium production.
0: It's it's not great. It's one of those where like they do dramatic reenactments um, of everything, and they have you know like the shaky like slow frame rate camera that's all like jostling. And uh, the, a lot of the interviews on it are pretty good. They got a lot of the people that were involved with it, but yeah, they're a bit over sensationalized. But uh, yeah, Ministries of Evil, if you want to look at that and learn more about this uh, evil person. But if you want to support the show, consider joining Heddles Plus. It is the membership program, pays for itself in discounts and deals, and helps pri- finance the production of shows like this one. You can join at heddles.com slash heddles plus. Uh, also, if you'd leave us a review on iTunes, that helps a lot too. Oh, thanks so much for joining us today. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, Read with our email. Blowout at heddles.com. Oh, my name is David. I'm Reed. And we will catch you next week. Bye-bye.
1: The days we let sleep by forever Never will return Like Robins in the springtime Well the day has come and gone, it is then a part of eternity and time, the days we let
0: live by.